You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Okay, I'm not a historian, but I know some friends who are. So I called Scotty Sorensen and I said, hey, tell me about that uh, American Revolutionary War that broke out in 1777. So he gave me some tips about it that I want to share with you today because it, it kind of goes with, with the message. So the Revolutionary War broke out in 1775 because of some philosophical and political differences, which is probably why every war starts. But it broke out, and it was between Great Britain, who was the power in this time and in this age, and the 13 colonies that, that, that was their territory that was in the northeast of what is now the United States of America. And so these 13 colonies wanted to break away from Great Britain and be recognized as free. They believed in a country of freedom where government was small and served the people, where religion wasn't forced on people by the few who were in power, and that God himself, the God of the Bible, should be the foundation of this nation. Problem was, Great Britain had a population of 8 million people. They were the superpower in this time, and they had the largest military in the world at this time. They owned the most territory in the world at this time. And the 13 colonies was about 1.5 million citizens only, compared to the 8 million. Not only that, but only about 7% of that 1.5 million, or maybe 100,000 people, were actually willing to get in the conflict, willing to support this freedom, this breakaway freedom. And not only were they fighting the people abroad, but 25% of that 1.5 million were actually against the colonies breaking off and being free. So they were, they were fighting domestic um, people as well. And so it was, a, it was, a, it was quite an interesting scenario. The rest of the, of the people were just apathetic, and they were just kind of like waiting to see who was going to win before they joined or, or whatever. They were just kind of watching. In 1776, you might remember, is the year of the Declaration of Independence. It was penned and signed, and this was an even smaller group of people, people like John Hancock, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson. These people were willing to sign their names on a document declaring and letting everybody know that they were for this breakaway for this, this, new, uh, this new country. And so they were actually willing to write their names. And, and, and it is said that they were really just signing their death sentence. Like, but they were so passionate about, uh, about this nation becoming free and separating from Great Britain, they were willing to just leave it all on the line, lay it all down, sacrifice everything, even their life, to see this country uh, brand new. 50, uh, out of the 56 men, there was about 27 who would have been pastors, actual clergy. Over 50 were Christians. Um, and the other ones that weren't Christians or maybe didn't call themselves Christians, they were okay with prayer. They were okay with the Bible. And they believed that we should follow those principles, even though they may not have called themselves Christians. And so this country was built on the foundation of this word right here. And these people were passionate about it. You might, you might remember the, probably the most famous written words maybe in American history, and it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, not by their government. If your government gives you rights, your government can take away your rights. If God gives you your rights, the government can't take it away. So we believe, and this country believes, it was founded on the fact that God in heaven, your creator, gave you these inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
What a great country. This group of 100,000-ish men and women didn't even win a major battle for the first two years of this war, yet this remnant of people with God was able to turn the tide and win. They, were, they, they so believed in building a country, in building a country founded on the principles of God and freedom, they were willing to lay it all on the line. And in that order, a country founded on God and free. Because a country that is free cannot be sustained long-term without high standards of morality. And high standards of morality cannot be sustained without God. And so that was the foundation of this great country and of this remnant of people. The title of my message is Remnant. The remnant. A remnant is a small group of people that are willing to fight a small group of people that are left from a certain ideological standpoint. It's a small group of people that are willing to fight a great fight. There was a, a number of different remnants in the Bible, but I want to talk to you uh, about one today. And this remnant uh, in the Bible was led by a guy who was passionate about building something that would change the world. And this remnant were the disciples. This thing was the church. And the guy was Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he built a remnant. He found a remnant of people who had a revelation about who he was and who were willing to lay it all on the line. Twelve people. Twelve people willing to, willing to lay it all on the line to build the church. To take on extraordinary odds despite the atmosphere of that time. But they were willing to go. So Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, hey, who do you guys say that I am? Or who do they say that I am? Sorry. They say, well, some say, you know, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, you know, one of the prophets, Elijah. And he says, well, what do you, who do you guys say that I am? In Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter pipes up, and Simon Peter answered and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered to him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So Jesus comes to his disciples and says, I will build my church. In other words, he launched the greatest building program in the history of the world. You think Vision Builders is a big deal? He launched a building program to, 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 to overturn the whole world, to make disciples of all nations, to build the church. And he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail, prevail against it. And Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Did you know Christianity is not a relationship? Christianity is a revelation that you can have a relationship with a God in heaven, your creator, who came down as a man, crucified, was crucified on a cross, died for you so that you could be free, so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could understand that you are a son or a daughter of God. Jesus said, you are Peter the rock, but I ain't building my church on a man. I'm building my church on a revelation that I am the Messiah. The church wasn't built on Peter. The church is built on a revelation, on a revelation that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. Jesus said, if you lose your life, you will find it. 
And if you want to follow me, first you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then follow me. Jesus lost his life so that you and I could find our life. Simon lost his life of being a fisherman, but found it as Peter the Rock. Once he got the revelation, he didn't know what he, who he was until he got a revelation. And then Jesus, the Messiah, said, this is who you are. I ain't going to build my church on you, but I'm going to launch it on you. You're going to preach a message after the Holy Ghost comes in Acts 2, a message that you didn't prepare for. And 3,000 people are going to get saved just like that in the launch of the church. I'm going to build my church on this revelation. Because he knew if we could get this revelation, if these 12 untrained men can get a revelation of who Jesus was, he could use this remnant to change the world. Today I'm believing that we're going to get a revelation up in here to change this world. Untrained remnant God used to, to change the world. And so I believe that today, that vision builders, that God is searching for a new remnant, a new group of people who are willing to fight despite the odds. In an atmosphere, in an environment in America where the government and other people are trying to take Bibles out of schools, are trying to take prayer out of schools, are trying to confuse gender and confuse marriage. But even in this environment, I believe there is a remnant of people who God is awakening in this season to change the world. And I just saw something that President Trump signed bringing Bibles back into the schools. So we got to fight. There is a remnant of about eight to 10,000 people in San Diego at C3 churches in a county of three and a half million people that I believe God is stirring today, that I believe God is stirring during vision builders to stand up and be willing to be that remnant to be that group of people, as small as it may seem, but are willing to take on the big giant, the enemy, willing to take on this world. Why? Because God wants that world to be blessed. Jesus died for those people out there. No matter what color they are, what they believe, what religion they are, he died for them. And it's up to you and I to go tell them what Jesus did. It's up to you and I to get a revelation that he's the Messiah and be willing to go and make disciples of all nations. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. In the Old Testament, there's a prophet by the name of Haggai. And uh, it's a small little book in the Old Testament, just two chapters, but it's powerful. I'm going to read almost the whole thing to you today. Don't worry. Don't worry. And Jesus is speaking through Haggai to a guy named Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the people that are, have come out of exile, and he's talking to them about building the church, about rebuilding the temple of God. Now, this is the same temple that Solomon built that was destroyed back in the day, and God is talking to these people, a remnant of people who are out of exile, and he's saying, you know what? I want you to rebuild what Solomon built. And if you remember what Solomon built, it was so unbelievable, so magnificent, that the queen of Sheba came and brought him billions of dollars because of the excellence that she saw. It was an extraordinary temple, and God is saying, hey, guys, I want you to rebuild what was destroyed. But the people weren't really having it. They weren't really into it at the beginning. But they were at the end. Haggai 1, verse 2 to 10 says this. It says, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So the people are saying, no, it's not the time. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, 
Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled or your covered houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And, then, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. Youch. In other words, God is saying, it's time to build my house. And these guys are saying, no, 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 I want to go hang out in my house. And God says, well, the reason that the heavens have been shut up and that the earth has been shut up and it's not producing any fruit, the reason you're running and not getting anywhere, the reason you're investing and not seeing a return, the reason you're dreaming but you're not achieving anything is because you put your house first and my house second. What God is saying is consider your ways. Put my house first and I'll build your house. Put my house first and I'll build your house. It's pretty scary what happens when we put our own house ahead of God. Matthew 6.33 says it like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things shall be added to you. You'll find when you put the house of God first, God starts to add things to you. Things that you didn't earn things that you didn't sow for, things that you don't deserve. He just starts to add stuff to you because you put him first. If we put his house first, you'll find stuff comes to you. You'll find you'll still get your house. It's like a two for one. It's like a two for one. That's what happened to me and my wife. Last year, a lot of you know the story about how we moved into a new house. It's been about a year now, April of 2018. But what happened was we had lost everything, millions of dollars of real estate back in 2008. I had all my eggs in one basket, but she stuck with me, and, uh, but we lost everything. So over the last seven years before that, we were kind of rebuilding. And uh, we had come to this place where we thought, hey, I think it might be time for us to, to launch out and go get a house. And uh, on January 1st, so we start looking at houses, 2017 at the end of the year. Uh, 2018, January 1, a guy by the name of Mike Maiden was in town. 8.30 service, I was sitting right there. Becky wasn't here yet. She was coming to the tent, and he stands me up, and he says, this is the year of recovery for you, and it includes property. And he pointed at me right there, and it was like the words just hit my spirit. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go get me a house. I'm like, this is it. This is the time. It was confirmed by the word, and one word from God can change everything in your life. And so we start looking for houses. We start looking. I mean, we saw maybe 100 houses, like uh, open houses. My kids hated us. I'm like, they're like, Dad, what are we going to do today? I'm like, we're going to go see some open houses. You know, on Saturday, they're like, oh, Dad, we ain't, yeah, whatever. So, but we would go and look at all of these houses. We never found anything that we liked until one day I left uh, this service. Uh, I left right before this service, actually. My wife was preaching. I took my two boys, and we were going home because the house that we were living in, which was great. God provided a great house for us. But we were driving to our house, and we saw an open house sign. And so I'm like, guys, we're going because it was right by my house. And so we go into this house, and I kid you not, within 30 seconds, I walked in this house. I saw the realtor, and I said, I am going to find a way to buy this place. 
The problem with this place was it was $150,000 more than what the last bank I talked to said we qualified for. And so I had no business walking into this house. In fact, the bank told me you shouldn't be looking at houses above your price range. But we're like, why would we want to buy a house in our price range? If God said you're going to go get a house, we're not going to downgrade. We're going to, we're going to upgrade. It was a word from God. And so, uh, and so we go in there, and we love this house. My boys ran in the backyard. They ran up on the slide, and they're like, Dad, we love this place, whatever. They come back down, and we go upstairs, and we're in the master bedroom. And I was, I was there, uh, I was remembering as I was preparing yesterday, I was standing there, and I remember exactly where we were, and I took my boy's hands, and we got in our circle, and I said, guys, you like this house? I said, yeah. I go, I think this is our house. And I said, let's pray. And so we, we prayed together, and we prophesied over that house, and we said, this is our house. Every place our foot shall tread, God, you have given us. We claim this house in the name of Jesus. And so it was, it was a powerful little moment between me and my boys. And so we leave, leave the house. I call Becky. I'm like, I found, where, I found our house. So she stops by on the way home. She agrees, and uh, which is important, fellas, because as soon as a woman agrees, then it's like on, like Donkey Kong. Now, ladies, encourage your men. Tell them, go get that house. Go make a bunch of money. Go do this thing. I'm telling you, it, it feeds us. It helps us. We want to provide. We want to protect. Anyway, that was from the marriage retreat, maybe. Okay. So we go home, and, uh, and we start to, to believe God, and, and I'm going to the banks, right, because I need a pre-qualification letter before I can send in an offer, or else I'm not going to look at my offer. And so I'm looking for a pre-qualification letter, but I can't find a bank that will fund us, and so I'm about to write an offer for a lease to buy. But this was a hot home on Redfin, and so it was highly coveted. And so it's the day I was about to put in my offer, uh, it went under contract, even though the agent said she wouldn't do anything unless she told me, but she did anyway. So it goes under contract, and you can imagine, like, my heart sank. Like, I thought this was our house. I'm like, ugh. But then I remembered. God told me, I felt, that that was our house. We prophesied. <laughs> and so what do we do? What do you do when another person puts your house under contract? You curse the contract. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I curse that contract and I command it to fall apart and die in Jesus' name. I said, God, I pray that you would put on the heart of the buyers another house. I wasn't cursing them, but I wanted the house. And I said, God, that the seller would find favor with us. That was my prayer. And every time we drove by that house, we would prophesy. My kids were doing it. We were praying for it every night before bed like it was on. We were in a fight. We were in, a, in the middle of a miracle. And it was, like, it was like our faith was on the line, especially to my kids, because they were in this thing with us. And so we would go by the house all the time and prophesy. Two weeks into escrow, I drove by the house, and I saw a U-Haul in the driveway. And I'm like, shoot, this thing must like, really be going well, because these guys are moving out. So the owners were moving out of the house. Well, my wife had written a letter, a very heartfelt letter, just about our family, how much we liked our house. And she had a picture of us, our Christmas card. We were all, we're all there. And so, and so um, she couldn't send the letter because they might have moved. And so they, they took the letter. Uh, my wife did. She got my five-year-old daughter dressed to the nines with a nice big bow in her hair, G'd up from the feet up. And they went, they went to the house, and coincidentally, the family was coming out of the house. And so my wife goes up and meets this couple and starts to compliment them tell them how awesome their house is and all this kind of stuff and gives them the letter. Well, wouldn't you know 
About a week later, I get a text message from the agent saying, hey, are you guys still interested? This contract is shaky. And I was like, bam. And uh, I'm like, yeah, we're still interested. So then I'm like, okay, I need a, a pre-qualification letter. And by the way, those don't mean anything, just for those of you. It's just like someone that you know that's nice that's willing to give you, like maybe we can get you funded. So anyways, she gives us a pre-qualification. We send in the offer. The seller says to the agent, I don't even want you to put it back on the market. Um, there's something about this family. I want to give them first chance. So it never goes back on the market. We put in the offer and, and they accept it. Now it's like, okay, now I got to find a loan. So we're looking at the house, you know, we're doing all the normal due diligence stuff, but I'm trying to find a loan. I get recommended this uh, uh, mortgage broker who's in the, in the business for 16 years, had relationships with so many different banks. A mortgage broker will take your information and send it out to all these different banks, I don't know, 10, 20 banks, and then wait for the best deal to come back. Well, she couldn't find one lender who would fund us. And now we're two weeks into to escrow, um, and, you know, I mean, this house is already ours. Like, my heart's already there. You know, it's like... It's like, God, we got, we got to do something. And so my wife and I are driving actually to Pastor Jurgen and Leanne's house for something. And we both look at each other we, like, we got to do something else. Like, we, we just felt like we, got to, we had to move on. And so we called this other lender, uh, Ryan Kirk, and we're like, Ryan, can you do anything for us? And he's like, I don't know, send me your information. Well, back up a couple of uh, uh, maybe about a week. And um, my wife and I decided that because Vision Builders was coming up in May, this was like in March, that there's no way that we were going to purchase this house without first finishing our vision builders. Because at the end of the day, whether we got that house or not, I'm committed to building this house. I'm committed to build, building the house of God. Now, if you know, if you know lenders, if you know uh, lenders, when you're buying a house or a car or whatever, they say, do not change your financial situation. Don't spend thousands of dollars. Don't open a credit card. Don't send money out. Like, keep your money. But we said, you know what, we're, we're going to finish our vision builders because we're committed. So we sent multiple thousands of dollars to finish our vision builders in March. And then wouldn't you know, we got a call from our family member. And they said, hey, we're in trouble and we need some money. Could you give us some money? Which equaled 10% of our savings account, which was our down payment. And so we said, hmm, well, Bible says honor your mother and father and it'll go well with you. And we felt from God to, to send them the money. So we sent them the money. So now we paid our vision builders multiple thousands. We paid where we gave money to them, which was more than what our vision builders was. And I remember sitting in my garage going, God, like, we, I, I, I feel like I'm in the middle of a miracle, and I'm just making it just a little bit harder for you. I'm going to send this money. <laughs> but I felt like we were good. He was good with it. So, and so fast forward, now we're, we're, we're coming down to the wire. It's D-Day. I need a letter of approval from my bank saying that they can loan me money or I have to remove contingencies. And when you remove contingencies, that means what you're saying is I'm buying the house, so now your deposit is at risk. So we had $10,000 on deposit, which means if we don't close, they just get to keep the $10,000. And we have no recourse. D-Day comes, and we have to submit our, our contingency removal. We didn't have loan approval, but we just felt like, God, you said this is our house. We claimed it. We prophesied. This is our house. We remove contingencies without loan approval. So we're all in. We're all in. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I ever prayed so much in my life at this time. And so wouldn't you know, we, a few days later, we get loan approval. We end up closing the house before the scheduled close of escrow date. Now we're living in a house that we didn't deserve, that we couldn't afford, but that God just added to us because we were committed in building his house first. And so he built our house. 
I'm telling you, God wants to give you stuff. He wants to bless you, but he's looking for a remnant of people who are willing to put his house above their house. His house above their house. Verse 14, so God says this stuff to them, and he says, and then in the Bible says in verse 14, he says, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, of Joshua, and of the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. I believe this is like a, this is like a prophetic message, an impartation type of a message that God is stirring up the spirit of people in C3 San Diego, a remnant of people that are willing to work on the house of God. Chapter 2 says, in the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word Lord came again by Haggai the prophet to the same people and to the remnant of the people, saying, who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? And so what God is saying is he's saying that uh, those of you that were here before that saw Solomon's temple and how majestic and how magnificent it was. Those of you that, that knew the former glory, do you see what you have in front of you now? You can't really see anything. You can't even see what's gonna happen next. But yet I'm asking you to fight, I'm asking you to build. Do you ever remember people saying like, remembering the glory days and always fixed on the glory days, on the days behind us? It's like when uh, someone told me that, um, you know, call, your college years are gonna be the greatest years of your life. And I'm like, sweet, when I was like, you know, 16, looking forward to college. But then when I was 23 and done, I'm like, crap. Those are the best days of my life. <laughs> now what do I do? Now what do I do? Like how sad to always be fixated on the glory days. You know, it was, it was better back then. It was better when my marriage was together. It was better when I had finances before I lost everything. It was better when my body was healthy, but now I'm not feeling well. We're looking at what's in front of us and we can't see what God is doing, but God is saying, hang in there and work and build the church. Don't be fixated on the glory days behind you. So he says, now do you see, in comparison with it, it is not in your eyes as nothing, yet now, 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 when, when, when you don't see anything in front of you, yet now be strong, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. You've been building the church, you've been giving, you've been sowing. You've been building your business, but you're not seeing anything yet. You remember the glory days. Man, it would've just been easier back then. I wish it would've just stayed like that. But God is saying, in that moment, yet now be strong. Yet now be strong, for I am with you, and he is the game changer. If he is with you, anything's possible, and he is with you. The question is, are we with him? Are we with him? He's saying, prioritize my house. Verse six to nine. It says, for this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says in just a little while. It took me and my wife a little while. It took us a little while. It says, in just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all of the nations will be brought to this temple. 
I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's army. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its glory in the past, says the Lord of heaven's army. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's army, have spoken. God is saying, even though you can't see it, it may take a little while, but hang in there. Hang in there. Continue to prioritize my house. And I'm telling you, I'm going to start to shake something over your life. I'm going to start to shake the ground. I'm going to cause the heavens to open and the heavens to give rain. I'm going to cause the grounds to start producing fruit. I'm going to accelerate your life. If you can just hang in there, you're going to see glory like you've never seen before. Stop looking in the past. I'm telling you, the glory is coming in the future. Your future is better than your past. It's going to be better if you can just wait a little while. All the silver and gold is mine, says the Lord. It ain't the devil's. He didn't put it in the ground for the devil. He put it in the ground for the sons and daughters who get a revelation that they are the sons and daughters. He's looking for a remnant of people who are willing to wait a little while it doesn't even stop with financial gain. I'm telling you, he wants your life to prosper in every single area of your life. Because guess what? It ain't about us only. It is about us, but it's not only about us. It's about the people out there. God's looking for a remnant to reach the world, not reach us. We already got reached. But the glory is going to be greater. I believe this. The greatest miracles, the greatest preachers, the greatest worship songs, the greatest business people, the greatest innovation is not back in the glory days. I believe it's here and it's now and it's in the future, but God is waiting for a remnant of people. I love Wigglesworth. I love Spurgeon. I love Catherine Coleman. I read their books. I watch them online. I like what, you know, Billy Graham did. I like what the Salvation Army used to do, but guess what? They're all dead. God is looking to raise up a new remnant of people. And he's saying the greater glory will be now better than it was back then. I've heard recently about all these cathedrals in Europe and in you know Paris and Germany just recently. And I'm like, that's great. That's amazing. All the churches are dead or the churches are a monument now. All those churches are stuck in religion, they're stuck in tradition, there's no life, there's no glory, there's no power. Well, guess what? I don't know if it's because I'm competitive, but I believe that the greatest churches, the most power, the most glory, we are going to see in this life. Why can't the greatest buildings in San Diego be C3 San Diego? Why do we have to look at the glory days over in Europe? When we live in the greatest country in the world, in America's finest city, with the greatest people in the world, with the greatest God, this day we're going to see the glory. It's going to be better than that day. People are going to be talking about us. 
because God is with us. If we can believe, if we can be that remnant, all this silver and gold is mine. What are we believing for? What are we willing to sacrifice? What are we willing to lay down to see a move of God where they talk about us, where we become the glory days? The reason I always say that one of the greatest things that you and I can do is look around and see what God is doing and then join Him. The reason that is, is because if you can join yourself, if you can attach yourself to what God is doing, you will open up a flow from heaven to your life. We have an opportunity to attach our finances, our careers, our businesses, our families, our life to this house, to a vision that God is doing. Jesus is building his church. And when he says, I'm gonna do something, he's gonna do it. The Bible says when he releases his word, he watches over it to perform it. The Bible says that no word returns to him void, but always accomplishes what it sets out to do. So when he says he's building the church, he's going to find a way to do it. So if you can submit yourself, come underneath a vision that God has given a man of God, Pastor Jurgen, 16 campuses, and then it goes on from there. He ain't going to stop until Jesus comes back. So if you can attach yourself, we're only at five campuses. We still got 11 to go. You still got time to get in on this. If you can attach yourself, your finances, your life, to what God is doing, I'm telling you, you will run into blessing. You will run into your future and your destiny and your purpose on this life. God is looking for people that are attached to what he's doing because he wants to get blessing to you so that he can get blessing through you. Because it's going to take a remnant of people who are submitted to what God is doing. He's building the church. He is building the church. Haggai 2, 18 to 19. Consider, and this is the word for some people, consider now from this day forward, from this day forward, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yielded fruit, even though you can't see it. But from this day, I will bless you. 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 From the day that you decided to come up under what God is doing and sacrifice something, lay yourself down, deny yourself, God is saying, from that day, I will bless you. You might not be able to see it yet, but in a little while, in a little while, God is doing something on your behalf. He's about to add stuff to you. He's about to bring stuff into your world, stuff that you never even dreamed about. From this day, I will bless you. And here's the deal. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, the church just wants my money. We don't need it. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You know why? Because Jesus said, I'm building my church with you or without you. We don't need your money, but we need to give it. You know why? Because God wants to bless you. Attach yourself to what he's doing. Don't give out of pity. Don't give because you feel bad. Give because you are believing God to move in your life. 
and you believe in the church, you got a revelation that it's the church that's the hope of the world. Man, he's gonna do it. All the silver and gold is his. And he's given us an opportunity to be involved because he's a good God. I'm a father, I got kids. Let me just tell you, when I go away, I don't wanna leave my inheritance to people who are gonna tear down my family, who are gonna tear down my house. I wanna give my inheritance to people who are gonna lift up my house, who are gonna bless my family. God's no different. He's just looking for a remnant, and I believe it's us. I believe it's now, and I believe from this day, God is gonna bless you. He's just gonna start shaking the heavens over your life, the earth beneath your feet. He's gonna bring in finance, just like Isaiah 60 said, the wealth of the wicked is coming into the house of God, and God is gonna do something miraculous, and the glory that we're gonna see is gonna far surpass the glory that was, because God is on the move. But he's looking for a remnant. He's looking for a remnant of people. I gotta pray. My brain's gonna explode. Why don't you close your eyes? God is looking for people to get a revelation. That's how we're gonna build this thing. To get a revelation about the church, to get a revelation that he's the Messiah, to get a revelation of what we have access to, to get a revelation that all this silver and gold is his, that if we just put him first, we're gonna get all the stuff that we want. God is trying to reach this planet. It's only two point something billion Christians, seven point something billion people, and he's counting on a remnant to build the church. He's looking for people to join him in what he's doing. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.